Up next, a shocked city reels as a killer targets local women. The community was up in arms. People were scared. At this point, we have very strong reasons to believe that these three victims may be linked. Sex workers are very likely to be targets of not just violence in general, but especially serial killings. Animal hairs, fibers, and a fingerprint provide clues, but no suspect. We really had no idea about who had perpetrated these crimes. Sometimes you think you have the right guy and you jump all over it just to find out that it's not. Spokane, Washington is built around the Spokane River. The region is considered among the most scenic in the country. Spokane River runs right through the county of Spokane and right through the middle of the city of Spokane. Pretty much divides the city of Spokane in half, north and south. But the scenic beauty of the river was marred in February of 1990 when a young woman was found dead along the riverbank. She had been partially wrapped up in a blanket and just deposited over the side of the road. Except for the blanket, the victim was nude. Police identified her as Yolanda Sapp, a 26-year-old local sex worker. She was shot more than once, and the wounds were perforating. So they went all the way through and didn't leave any bullets in the body. This was 1990, and DNA was just making its way into U.S. courtrooms. Yolanda's autopsy indicated some sexual activity, but because of the possibility of multiple sex partners, a rape kit was all but useless. With no bullets, no witnesses, and no clothing, detectives turned to what little they had. The blanket that was found approximately 10 feet from her body had a little bit of blood on it, so it clearly was associated with Miss Sapp. Local police made a point of treating Yolanda the same way they treat any other victim. You always hear, well, they're just a prostitute. Why do you work so hard? Well, you don't look at it that way. Yeah, they're a prostitute, but they belong to somebody. They have mothers, they have fathers, they have children. You tackle that case the same way that you would anything else. One month after Yolanda's murder, a jogger found another dead woman along the banks of the Spokane River. The victim was also a local sex worker, 34-year-old Nikki Lowe. Nikki Lowe was found under the Green Street Bridge, and her body was draped over a a metal guardrail. In Nikki's case, a bullet from a 22 caliber was recovered from the body. Later that day, investigators got a potential break. The Spokane Police Department received a phone call from a gentleman who supplemented his income by searching dumpsters for items that he could resell or use. Inside the dumpster, the man found a purse with Nikki Lowe's driver's license, as well as some personal items, including a tube of lubricant. All the items were submitted for forensic analysis. Then, two months later, another young woman turned up dead. Brisbo is the third prostitute gunned down since February. 
On May 15, 1990, the body of Kathy Brisbow is found along the Spokane River, about five miles east of the location where Yolanda and Nikki had been found. 38-year-old Kathy was also shot with a 22. She was friends with the other two victims. They formed what they called the circle. The purpose of that was to offer some assistance to each other and back up and help if there were bad dates or people that were dangerous to try and look out for each other. Investigators and the local community were coming to an uncomfortable but inevitable conclusion about these three murders. It was clear that we had a serial killer working the Spokane area. And the race was on to identify him before he killed again. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Kathy Brisbo was known both to fellow sex workers and to police as a veteran of the streets. Kathy, according to witnesses, friends, was the type of lady that would have been hard for this suspect to kill. She was tough. At that particular time, she was aware that two of her friends had also been killed. In fact, shortly before her murder, detectives questioned her to see if she could provide any help in the murders of Yolanda Sapp and Nikki Lowe. Kathy told them a story about a recent customer, a John who she clearly remembered. Kathy Brisbo did identify one John whom she could barely describe, who said that if she did not do what he asked, that she would be the next victim. True to form, it was clear Kathy Brisbo went down swinging. She fought with whoever the suspect was. She had told people that she's not gonna go down without a fight. Skin cells were found under her fingernails. This was pre-DNA, but alert detectives put that evidence in storage. As for facts on the ground, a murderer killing sex workers presented all sorts of unusual challenges. Detectives were worried that maybe there was some drug angle to this because all three of the victims were involved in heroin and cocaine and they didn't know if maybe the girls had made some dealer mad and they were investigating that. With what little information they had, detectives created an initial profile of the person they were looking for. Detectives believed that they were looking for a male, probably white, 
and probably at least 20 years old, but less than 50 years old. Had his own car so that he was mobile and could take the girls somewhere. Analysts turned to the tube of lubricant found with Nikki's belongings. Fingerprinting has actually remained relatively unchanged for decades. If it's a non-porous surface, they would use fingerprint powder, a very fine, typically black powder, and that attaches to the oils that you deposit when you touch things from your fingers. In another possible break, a partial print was lifted from the tube. But with no suspects, it was of limited value. They have to have someone identified with fingerprints provided or on file for them to compare it to. But other micro clues offered some possibilities. A cat hair, like the one seen here magnified 100 times, was consistent among two of the crime scenes. A blue fiber was also found with two of the victims. One of the forensic scientists thought that this fiber may have been from a carpet in a boat. Detectives thought this might be linked to a boat supply store near where all three women plied their trade. The prostitutes would take dates uh, and have sex in the boats. They'd climb in the boats where they were kind of out of view and not necessarily in somebody's car, and they would have sex there. Detectives put out a call to the media asking the public to come forward with any tips they might have about someone that might be involved in killing these ladies. More than 700 tips poured in. Given the nature of the victims, it was hard to separate fact from fiction. Some of the tips had information that absolutely needed to be followed up on, but a vast majority of the tips were nonsense or totally made up information by people either thinking they're doing well or somebody mad at an ex-spouse or an ex-boyfriend, that type of thing. To the relief of police and the community, there were no murders that appeared to be linked to the original three. If this was a serial killer, was it possible he'd gone dormant? It's not unheard of. The notorious BTK killer went dormant for 14 years. The Golden State killer allegedly committed all sorts of crimes, including more than a dozen murders, before apparently stopping after 13 years. In Spokane, six years passed since the three murders thought to be the work of the same man. And then, bodies began turning up again. In 1996, sex workers started turning up dead, again, in and around Spokane, Washington. Detectives feared this was the work of a killer who, they believed, murdered three women back in 1990. These prostitutes were shot in the head, and their heads covered with plastic bags. Their bodies were being dumped in remote areas away from downtown Spokane. These were key differences between the murders from 1990. The murder weapon was believed to be a 25 caliber. The bodies were not dumped by the river, and plastic bags weren't used in the first three murders. Of course, that didn't do anything to calm potential victims. The prostitutes were very afraid at that time. Their friends were being killed and found. And so there was a concerted effort by the police 
on that task force, both city and county, to try and work with the street workers. But still, there were no arrests or even solid suspects. Anytime you work a serial case, which this was, it's a never-ending emotional battle. Years passed. In 2000, a man named Robert Lee Yates was arrested for the 1996 murders of local sex workers. He had no connection to the murders from six years earlier. They were able to determine, apparently through military records, that Yates was in Germany when these three women were murdered, so he couldn't have done it. The investigation went cold. But forensic technology was giving new life to hundreds of cases. The real push at that time to address these cold cases, these cases that we didn't have the technology when they happened, but now we did, and it was time to revive them and try again, basically, with the newer technology. Analysts had wanted to take the partial fingerprint lifted from the tube of lubricant in Nikki Lowe's purse and enter it into APHIS, the fingerprint database. But there wasn't enough detail in the print. The fingerprint found on the sexual lubricant was not APHIS quality, but there was enough of the print present that it could be used to identify a specific person if we had a named suspect. Now they turned to skin found under the fingernails of the third victim, Kathy Brisbow. Nearly two decades had passed since her murder, but if DNA could be found, it might identify her killer. It was the left middle finger that ultimately produced a good DNA profile. It was partly DNA from Kathleen Brisbow and partly DNA from a male. Detectives now had a full genetic profile. It seems to be what everybody's looking for. So that was pretty thrilling for me and for the city detectives and for my partner who the case wasn't even assigned to. In 2009, this profile from an unknown male was entered into CODIS, the national DNA database. Detectives' hopes for a break were soon dashed. No one was found in CODIS to match that profile. But CODIS never stops. New DNA profiles are entered into the database every day. And 24-7, those profiles are cross-referenced. Three years passed. Then detectives got a phone call. In 2012, we got what was called a cold hit. We don't get a lot of cold hits on cases this old. So it's always exciting when a real cold hit, one we really had no idea about who had perpetrated these crimes, finally comes through. But CODIS technicians had some shocking news for detectives. The male DNA profile belonged to a woman. At one point, her name was Douglas Perry. Now she went by Donna. DNA, like all physical evidence, can't lie. One of the advantages of DNA and our ability to analyze it is, first of all, it's the same throughout your body. The other advantage of DNA in general is that it stays the same throughout your life. And in questions of gender, DNA also does not change. A gender reassignment surgery may change the physical appearance, 
may change you know, hormones and that sort of thing, ultimately doesn't change the DNA you were born with. So when Spokane detectives got news that male DNA linked back to a serial killer from 1990 belonged to a woman, they had a lot of questions. A background check showed that in 2000, Donna Perry, who was known then as Douglas Perry, underwent gender-affirming surgery. Even people who study how gender intersects with crime said this was an unusual case. Serial killing in general really only represents about 1% of all homicides in the U.S. So we're talking about a pretty rare crime as it is. It's even more rare that trans people themselves are the murderers or the serial killers. Contrary to popular myth, they're far more likely to be victims of violence and homicide themselves. Donna Perry, in her past and current incarnations, was no stranger to law enforcement. She had weapons violations going all the way back to 1988. I learned that she lived in the Spokane area during the time of the crimes in 1990. In fact, Donna was back behind bars on a weapons violation at the time she was identified. And that's where detectives interviewed her. I don't understand. Murder? Are you kidding me? Me? Her? What date? This is my car. Okay. I'm scared shitless, mister. Okay, this is who I am. Take this with you. If you decide you want to talk. Let's talk. Let's sit out and work this out of my head. I'll go back to the cell and kill myself. Please, somebody tell me what I did wrong. Oh, Lord. I think that Donna started speaking with us because she was very concerned about what we knew and how much trouble she might be in. Donna admitted paying sex workers for sex around the time of the murders. No, as a male human being, I did pick up some chips. But when I always let them out, they alive and well when I let them out. Donna says uh, they were alive when I let them go. Uh, that statement really concerned me. That's just not a normal statement that someone would make. As the interview progressed, Donna told detectives she underwent gender transition to curb aggressive tendencies when she was a man. And that led to a confession of sorts. I'm not going to admit I killed anybody. I didn't. Donna has killed nobody. So, I don't know if Doug did or not. It's 20 years ago, and I have no idea whether he did or didn't. Donna tries to live the best she can in the way It was apparent that she had drawn such a significant curtain in her life between Doug and Donna, as marked by that gender reassignment surgery, as to almost make Douglas a different person in her mind. This externalization of blame is seen in the research with serial killers in general. Donna is actually just a pretty typical serial killer who targets sex workers, exhibits very similar patterns. And so her trans identity really has nothing to do with the crime at all. Now, we're lying, sex change operational. There's no more testosterone to fuel the anger. That argument doesn't persuade most experts in the field, and it didn't persuade detectives. Ultimately, there's no basis in that defense, and in fact, really serves to marginalize and hurt transgender people even further because she's invoking 
harmful myth about gender-affirming surgeries that they somehow alter moods or aggressions, which is false. Though the DNA under Kathy Brisbo's fingernails identified Donna, it was a confluence of evidence that finally solved the case. The blanket found at Yolanda Sapp's crime scene also had Donna's DNA. And now that police finally had a suspect, they turned to the partial fingerprint lifted from Nikki Lowe's tube of lubricant. And it matched Donna Perry, conclusively linking her to all three victims. After two decades, the case was finally solved. Didn't get rid of what Doug did before the sex that remains. No. Maybe nothing else. Of him remains, but that does. And you're going to punish Donna for it. Is that it? Yes, the body is counted. We, the jury, find the defendant Donna Rebecca Perry guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree. In 2017, Donna Perry was convicted of all three murders and sentenced to three consecutive life terms. The genetic evidence left no doubt about the killer's identity. Donna committed those crimes herself, and any defense that tries to externalize blame to some other persona is not a transgender issue. That is a serial killer issue. When I notified Yolanda's family and Nikki's family that we had made an arrest, it was surprising to me how fresh this was in their memory and how much this meant to them and how emotional they got. And so it was just important to me to help bring justice to these families. They were good cops. I think the detectives that were involved in these cases originally, the original investigators maybe retired or moved on. Their cases were picked up by other detectives. They were dedicated to getting these cases answered. 